And if you please open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's found on page 959. So we're in this section of 1 Corinthians between chapters 11 and 14 that deal with worship, proper worship in the church. And we have looked at the proper worship, the proper distinction between men and women in worship when we looked at the subject of head coverings. And for the last two weeks, we had been looking at the Lord's Supper and what a gift and what a blessing the Lord's Supper is to the church. Well, today we're going to shift a little, but we're going to look at the the subject of spiritual gifts. We're going to say, what are these spiritual gifts? What is the source of these spiritual gifts? And what is the purpose for them? And how often they are abused by the worldly church of the Corinthians as well as our worldly church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. But it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the works of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. Father, I do pray for your Spirit as we are going to be preaching. I'm going to be preaching about the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. And Father, I need your Holy Spirit to preach. And Father, I pray your Spirit will be with me. Speak through me that I will proclaim Christ, that I will glorify Christ. And Father, each one of us here needs your Holy Spirit to open our eyes, open our ears, soften our hearts so that we will hear from you. Each one of us, there's there's many things going on in our lives. We are dull, we are tired. And Father, I pray that at this moment that you will take, by your Holy Spirit, that we will hear from you and that we will be changed. Each one of us here will be conformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name and for his glory that I pray. Amen. Well, a few years ago, I flew up to New Jersey. Uh, Jessica was in a play, and I wanted to go see the play, so I flew up there. And I spent a week visiting with my parents. And during this time I was with my parents... My dad took me. My my dad serves on the board of the sewage authority in the town where he lives. And he took me for a tour of the sewer treatment plant in the town. Now, a lot of people think, doesn't think that that's exciting. That may not be what you think is, a, is, a, is an exciting tour. But for me, with my background as an engineer, a mechanical engineer, this was exciting. I found the processes fascinating. And one of their engineers was giving us the tour of the facility. He did a great job. He was explaining the process from the intake. And you probably don't want me to go into too much detail about, about this. But I was really fascinated with all these different processes that they went through. They take the raw sewage in and... 
by the time we went, we actually saw it going back into the river. It was actually cleaner than the water going, the water in the river. And I'm told, I didn't actually try this, but they said that it was actually clean enough to drink. I didn't actually try that, but I was take their word for it. And, and during this tour, for the most part, the engineer focused on the technology. And I think he did a great job explaining and, and answering my technical questions. But at one point, point <clears throat> and this could have been because my dad told him in an addition to my engineering background, he told him currently that I'm a minister. And at one point, the uh, this engineer got, uh, again, on his own, I didn't prompt it, he got very spiritual in his discussion. It, it was really strange. He he started talking almost in a religious sense. He was he was talking about the water. I, and I asked him, I said, you know, why do you do this? this <clears throat> you know, as an engineer, you can make a lot more money doing other things. And, you know, this is not the best working environment, you know, working in a sewer treatment plant. And he said, I do it for the water. <clears throat> and he got very mystical talking about the water. <clears throat> and it may seem funny, you know, talking about it out of context. But I mean, he was very genuine. Again, it w he was speaking of the water as if a, a religious experience. He felt a calling to this profession. Again, it's not glamorous. It's, it's working in a sewer treatment plant. It is a smelly, dirty job. It doesn't pay much. But he does it for a purpose. He did it for the water. And I didn't talk to him about Christ or the gospel. And I don't know where, whether he's a churchgoer. I, I didn't get the impression that he was a Christian. He seemed to be a purely material, science-focused type of guy. But at his core was the spiritual side. And I saw that. <clears throat> and on the same trip to New Jersey, I had dinner with my best friend from high school and his wife. And his wife was his high school sweetheart, so I had known her for years. But it had been <clears throat> at least 25 years since I'd seen either one of them. And I remember the first thing that the wife said when they got out of the car and I saw them, she looks at me and she looks straight at me and says, John Albano, a minister, i got to hear this story. Because... Needless to say, I was not very religious when she knew me back in high school. And although the two of them met in youth group uh, when they were kids, I don't think either one of them are practicing uh, Christians now. Uh, the husband is an engineer, mechanical engineer, just like me. The wife is a, an accountant. <clears throat> and they both have very good jobs at a pharmaceutical company, make lots of money. They've got multiple houses and multiple cars. They're doing very well, very, very logical, very businesslike. But during the dinner... The conversation turned spiritual. Not Christian, but spiritual. And again, they initiated. I didn't. I was just listening. I was re recounting all old times. And they started sharing about a very difficult situation in their lives. I'm not going to go into any detail about it. But, but they recognized that this problem was spiritual and it wasn't physical. And I just listened to them and, and, and I planted some seeds. I was not overtly evangelistic by any means. But I did tell them I was going to pray for them. And they were very thankful for them. And I did pray for them. But I think these two encounters are indicative of many people. People who are very secular, very materialistic in their thinking. People who do not consider themselves religious at all. But nonetheless, and I would say this is because they're made in God's image. Nonetheless, they see themselves as spiritual. And I'm sure you've heard the term that many of these people use. Some of you may have used it to refer to yourselves. I'm spiritual, but not religious. And truthfully, I would have described myself this same way in my early 20s when I, when I started to realize that there's more to this world than just the material, more than that I could just measure or I could quantify using the, the scientific uh, methods that I had learned in my education. 
And I had grown up in the, in the Catholic Church, but I pretty much discarded Catholicism and Christianity. I pretty much discarded the Bible. I, I saw it as a superstition. And, and I embraced the religion of secular materialism. That was my religion. But I soon realized that the material was not all there was. I soon realized that the spiritual is very real. And there's a saying. It says, when a culture abandons Christianity, when it abandons the Bible... When it becomes post-Christian, which is what we are in our, in, in our country, in the Western world, we are post-Christian. And this is, the saying is, they don't believe nothing, but rather they believe anything. And that's how many people are. We believe anything. See, the problem with the, the spiritual but not religious is that they believe anything. They believe all spirituality is the same. They, they see it just as a different path up the same mountain. And they also believe that all spirituality is benevolent. It's all good, whether it's Reiki, whether it's yoga, whether it's New Age, whether it's Eastern religion or neo-pagan religion or Wicca or witchcraft or even Satanism. It's all the same thing. It's just a different path. Whatever works for you, it's all good. And I had a recent discussion with a Christian minister who's heavily involved in the interfaith movement. And he was having a prayer meeting to pray for peace in Ukraine, which is great. And it was with Buddhists and, and uh, New Age people and, and liberal Muslims and Reformed Jews and Hindus and all these other various groups. And I reminded him about 2 Corinthians 6, which says, do not be, for Christians, not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It says, what fellowship has light with darkness? What, what fellowship has Christ with Satan? And he just dismissed me. He told me I was fearful. He said uh, what he was doing was of love, so that means that it was from God. And I quoted him from Joshua 24:15, which Nathan read earlier. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And again, he mocked me by sending me a whole bunch of verses that say, love one another, love one another, love one another. But this passage that we're looking at today, I think it gives us a way that we can discern the spirituality, where we can f- save us from falling into the trap that so many people, even this Christian minister, fell into. <clears throat> To discern spirituality, really to understand the proper use of spirituality and spiritual gifts. There, there are spiritual gifts associated with various spiritualities. What does it mean? How do we use those gifts? Well, Paul starts off this passage in verse 1 saying, now concerning spiritual gifts. Well, a little, literal translation of the Greek is actually now concerning the spirituals. There is no gift in there. It's just plural, the spirituals. Word gift is implied, although it could also mean spiritual things, things of the spirit, or even spiritual people. As my Greek professor, Dr. Kara, said, grammar gives us the options, but context and theology gives us the meaning. But I think all of these options will fit the context of this passage. See, Paul is instructing the Corinthians, and he's instructing us with respect to the spirituals, the things of the spirit, whether they are spiritual gifts, whether they are spiritual people, whether they are spiritual options. And he's saying to him in verse 1, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. I'm telling you so you don't fall into this trap that so many people fall into. And Paul is showing them and he's showing us how we can discern whether these spiritual things are from God or whether they are not. Whether the spiritual interests are ultimately helpful to us, ultimately good, or ultimately harmful to us. And he wants to make sure, he wants to make sure that we are not led astray. And the reason is because it's so easy for us to be led astray. It is so common. It is so natural. Even in our prayers we were talking about, it is so natural for us to be led astray. And it's common, it's natural, 
And, and this is really what we were before we were converted. What I was like before I was converted, what the Corinthians were before they were converted. As we see in verse 2, he says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And these idols, they have no power, no spirituality in them. They had no power. They were just mute idols. They had no life in them. They could not convey life-giving instruction. And the Corinthians, before their conversion, just like each one of us before our conversion, we were like that which we worshipped, spiritually dead. It's the important point about worship. Whatever you worship, and everybody worships something. You can't say, I don't worship anything. We all worship something. And the thing that's important is, we become like that which we worship. If we worship a lifeless idol, we become spiritually lifeless. If we worship a demon, we become demonic. But if we worship the living God, we become conformed more and more into his image. So what is the difference between the, the spiritually alive and the spiritually dead? How do we know? How do we know if, we are, if our spirituality comes from God or is opposed to God? Well, there's really, there is a spiritual reality apart from God, and we have to understand this. There is a real spiritual power of darkness. Satan is real. Demons are real. And there's a supernatural power. If you see witch doctors and shamans and the occult, they actually do have real Power is not just superstition. There is a real power, and this power is dangerous. This power is not from God. It's not from the Holy Spirit. And although it may give power to the person temporarily, they may be able to do amazing things, may even get success, but ultimately it will enslave them. Ultimately it will destroy all those who exercise this kind of power, who are deceived by this kind of power. There's no using it for good. It's kind of like the, the ring of power in, in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Even if you're a good character, it will corrupt you. You, can't, you cannot take the evil and use it for good, no matter how hard you try. And it's essential for us to be able to discern, to discern the spirituals that are associated with the Holy Spirit and those which are not, to know good spirituality from harmful spirituality. And luckily, thankfully, we are given a test. Verse 3 is our test, is our litmus test. This is the way we can judge any spirituality. So the spirituality that's from the Holy Spirit is the one and the only one that exalts Christ, that exalts Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit's ministry is to magnify Jesus. That's what it is. His ministry is to draw others to Jesus, to glorify Jesus, glorify Jesus in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. And if our spirituality does not glorify Jesus, does not magnify his holy name, if it does not draw others to Jesus, it's not from the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, Paul says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So these two statements here, Jesus accursed and Jesus is the Lord, they are opposites. They are mutually exclusive. Jesus is Lord means that Jesus is the one and the only sovereign of the universe. And... It's also saying that we voluntarily recognize this and submit to this reality. We submit ourselves to his lordship. Jesus is Lord means that Jesus is first and our, our first and our highest priority in all our lives. He's higher than anything else. Jesus is Lord means Jesus is number one. Nothing else. No peers. Jesus is number one in our lives. And Jesus is accursed. It means that we reject this. We reject the reality that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That is true. 
whether we believe it or not, but we reject it. We hate it. It means we reject Him. We oppose Him. We refuse to bow down to Him. It's blasphemous. It's out of touch with reality, but that is the reality. And this is our natural condition. This is what each one of us who are apart from Christ, we say Jesus is accursed. If we're not born again, we oppose God. We reject God. We hate God. And we are out of touch with reality. Now, few of us, few unregenerate people are so crass, so bold to declare Jesus is accursed. But this is what we believe. This is how we act in our idolatry if we don't know Christ. In the elevation of ourselves as God. Self-autonomy. And our refusal to submit to Christ. And likewise, the unregenerate, they, they may physically be able to say the words, Jesus is Lord, but they never would want to. They certainly would never want it to be true. They would never mean it, mean it in their hearts. They don't want to see Jesus as Lord. They want to be Lord. They want to be their own Lord. And they are rebels against God. And it's only when a person's eyes are, are opened to the light of the gospel, by the light of the gospel, only when we recognize our sin and our rebellion against God, and in repentance we turn away from that sin, and we sincerely receive and rest upon Jesus Christ alone. It is only then, it's only then that we can recognize that Jesus is Lord. But not only that, we will also love this fact. We will love the fact we love Christ. We want to see him glorified. We want to see him magnified. We joyfully proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And we try as best as we can to submit to him. And of course we fail. We always fail, but we, we come back. We want to be obedient. And by his grace, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to more and more die to self and live to Christ. And any spirituality that does not recognize the lordship of Christ, that does not see Christ as not just one of many gods or just as one of many ways, but as the only way, as the only sovereign. Any spirituality that does not do that is not from God. It's not from the Holy Spirit. It does not belong to Christ. And this is why Scripture warns us so, it's so dangerous for, for us to be unequally yoked in spiritual pursuits with unbelievers. So you cannot worship together in an interfaith worship service with unbelievers. Yes, you can do work together. It's not like you don't have nothing to do with people, but you cannot worship with them, with unbelievers. Syncretism. This is the amalgamation of, of worship of the true God and a pagan God. This has been a huge problem for God's people ever since, ever, ever since the, the Garden of Eden, really. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God's people, Israel, they wanted to be like their pagan natures, nations. They wanted to be like everyone else. They wanted to have gods. They wanted to worship the way on the high places. They wanted a king like everyone else. And they have to be rebuked over and over by God. God actually sent them into exile for this wickedness, for this idolatry. And this is the same sin that's facing the Corinthians at this moment. And this is the same sin that we face as well. So they wanted to be like their pagan neighbors. And we so often, just the Leslie's prayer request, we often want to be like our pagan neighbors. It's so prevalent in all branches of the Christian church. No branch is immune. And this is our litmus test for spirituality. Does it magnify Christ or does it minimize Christ? Spirituality does not glorify Christ is not from God. It's not under the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And this is this is the definitive, this is the essential, this is a non-negotiable. But we also have to be careful not to fall into the other ditch. Right? We don't want to have be too wide in our spirituality that we will include that which is not of God. That is not which is where, where the Holy Spirit is, is not presence. But likewise, we do not want to be so narrow in our focus that we reject the Holy Spirit when He's off when He's operating in others. Because their gifting, because their ministry may be different from ours. And this too is a huge problem in the modern Christian church. I mean, just look at the thousands and thousands of different Christian denominations, each with different giftings, each with different ministries, each with different focuses. And sadly, we, we tend to set ourselves up as the standard. You know, I'm orthodox, and everyone else that's different from me, I doubt that the Holy Spirit's even in them. We, take a look at verses 4 through 6. It says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it, it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And this is very important for us to understand. Just because a brother or sister or a Christian tradition is very different from ours, and their gifts are different, this does not mean it does not come from God. And this is an understanding, I think, where, where our tradition is weak, where I personally am weak and I struggle in. And I think the reason it is is because the strength of our Reformed tradition, uh, the strength of conservative, Bible-believing, Presbyterianism, our strength is, is our doctrinal and, and, and theological precision. I mean, we're, we're studying R.C. Sproul in Sunday school, and those of you know Travis is a theologian and he reads Sunday school, we're very precise in our theology. This is great. I love the Westminster Confession. We have, our, we have our theology class on Monday night. We study the Westminster Standards and the other Reformed creeds. And I believe that these are the most accurate articulation of biblical teaching in any human doc- document. But because of this strength and because of this gifting that we have, we can be very harsh. We can be very unaccepting of brothers from other traditions who may have a different understanding with respect to secondary, uh, not, not primary doctrine, but secondary doctrines. You know, we think we're right, but we can be very un, uh, unforgiving, unaccepting of these brothers. And I admit that I'm judgmental uh, of brothers and sisters that have different understanding, maybe of the regulative principle. I mean, that's something that we, we like here. We, we practice here. We believe it's biblical. But there are some churches that don't do that. And I can be very judgmental of that. So why don't you use the reg- regulative principle? Or they have a different understanding of the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the manifestations and what that looks like today. And I have to ask myself, are they proclaiming Christ? Are they proclaiming Christ? Are they magnifying his name? If they do, even if they have differently gifts and, and they do it differently, I have to ask, are they doing that? And God convicted me this, this, just this week. I will often watch worship services of different churches and local churches with different traditions. And there's a lot of things that when I watch that I don't like, things that they do differently, different styles of music, different styles of preaching. But in one in particular Christ was central in the service. They did things a lot different. They had a different understanding, different theology on secondary issues. But Christ was central, and that was clear. Christ was central. Christ was magnified. The Holy Spirit was clearly active in this worship service. And for this, we should rejoice. For this, we should praise God. And we should encourage and support and pray for these brothers and sisters. Not see them as people who got it wrong and focusing on our differences, but see them as co-laborers in the kingdom of God. And failure to do so is really failure not to honor them, but a failure to honor the Holy Spirit that is working in them. 
and working in these different ministries. See, the truth is that there are a variety of gifts and there are a variety of services and a variety of activities, but there's one Holy Spirit and one Holy Spirit behind them all and empowering them all. See, no individual Christian, no individual church, no, not even a, an individual denomination has all these gifts. The Holy Spirit has spread them out to different churches, to different people. And the reason he did it is so we need each other. We can't be independent. We can't say, I've got it all and I'm okay. And I can just be given and I'm just proclaiming to you. No, we need each other. We have to rely on each other. We have to honor each other. But whenever there's differences, there's always a temptation. There's always a temptation to pride. There's always a temptation to see my area where I'm gifted. This is the most important. And I think one of the best ways, one of the best ways that we do to, to, to attempt to hide this pride that we all have is in false humility. And what is false humility? It's pretending that, you know, we're not gifted in the area that we're, we're good at. Oh, no, you know, I, I'm not gifted in this area. Where it's clearly seen. Our church is gifted in this area. This is not humility. This is denying reality. But here's where the sinister part comes in, the part of this false humility. We deny that we have gifting in a particular area where it's clear to everyone that we do have this gifting, and we know we have this gifting. But it's the same area we say, well, this gifting, well, I don't really have it. But if I did have it, it would be really the most important. It would be the most important area. And we're claiming that it's more important than what other people have. This is arrogance. See, true humility, true humility recognizes that every one of us has spiritual gifts, and they're different spiritual gifts. But what it does is it appreciates the different gifts, and it doesn't elevate the gift I have any more than the gift anyone else can have. And then we can rejoice. We can rejoice with these different gifts that these different people have. We can give, rejoice just as much as if they were our own personal gifts. And to understand this and, and to truly show the appreciation that, uh, for these gifts and for others and, and, and not just promote our own gifts, we need to understand God's purpose for gifting his people. We need to understand the ultimate purpose of the Holy Spirit-enabled, Christ-exalting spirituality in its vast varieties and manifestation. And to answer this purpose of gifting, we see it in verse 7. So take a look at verse 7. It says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. That's the purpose. See, the supernatural Holy Spirit-enabled Christ-exalting gifts that every Christian possesses are given not to build us, us up, not to build up our pride, not to indulge ourselves, not for our own glory and benefit. They are given for us to serve to serve others, to serve the church. They are given for the common good. And verses 8 through 10 give examples of the variety of gifts given for the common good. And they are given by the same Spirit. And Paul's repetition here of same Spirit, he, he does this to drill in the unity that we have with these gifts that they will produce when, when properly understood. And the disunity displayed by the Corinthians and by us about these different gifts, this is evidence that we do not have a proper biblical understanding. And Paul's central point here of this whole passage can be summed up nicely in verse 11. He says, All these things are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And don't miss what this is saying. Paul is saying that each and every gift is apportioned. It's allocated. It's dispensed to each of us individually. And who? By whom? Who, in, who, who distributes it? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is completely sovereign of the distribution of these gifts. 
So we don't ever want to get discouraged. We don't ever want to be resentful that someone else has a gift that I want. I didn't receive the gifts or, or uh, someone else has more of a gift. We don't ever want to do that. God in his wisdom has distributed these gifts as he wills. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what individual gifts we have received because all these gifts are for the common good, which means we benefit from them. It means they're for us. They're for the church. We benefit, we rejoice in whatever gifts, whoever's gifts. They don't have to be our gifts. We are blessed by these other gifts. We enjoy these gifts. And it allows us to be thankful. Thankful for brothers and sisters who have gifts that are different than ours. And we don't see them as a threat, but we see them as a gift to us personally and to the universal church. See, every single person, by the mere fact that we are created in God's image, we are a spiritual creature. And no matter how much we try to deny it, no matter how much our culture tries to deny it, we are not, the material world is not all there is. We know that there is a spiritual reality. And moreover, we each seek it out. There is a God-shaped hole in every single person because we are made in his image. And the unbeliever seeks to fill this God-shaped hole with anything else, with religion, with spirituality, with distraction, with anything else but God. But my friends, we have the truth. As Christians, we have the gospel. We have Christ. We know that Christ is the answer, the only answer to this search. And any spirituality that magnifies Christ, that draws us closer to him, is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And any that rejects Christ and, and his unique person and work is not of the Holy Spirit. And even if the individual manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit vary, they come from the same Spirit. They have the same purpose, to build up the people of God for the common good, for the church, for the glory of God. So my friends, armed with this understanding of the Holy Spirit-enabled spirituality, its purpose, its power, let us use our individual gifts to make disciples and, and to build the kingdom. And let us enjoy, let us appreciate the gifts of others and collectively make disciples and grow the kingdom and glorify God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. And we praise you. We thank you for the gifts you give each one of us here. We thank you for the gifts that you have given other churches, the gifts that you have given other denominations, and they are all to build up the church. They are all to disciple us and to bring you glory. Father, I pray for greater unity. I pray for greater discernment. Father, protect us from the false spirituality that will lead us away from Christ and proclaiming Christ and draw us closer to brothers and sisters who may have different traditions, who may worship differently than we do, but are worshiping and proclaiming the same Christ. May he alone be glorified. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.